Good morning to you. Good morning. Welcome to the papers for Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you. Uh, just a quick one. Missed you yesterday, or you missed me at four o'clock yesterday. The Richie Allen Show didn't happen yesterday, Monday. Uh, had a bit of personal business to deal with, unexpectedly. Nothing too heavy or too dramatic, but something I had to deal with. So uh, I'm not unwell or anything. I was, I was fine, and I am fine. I'm back today at four o'clock UK time. So I'll be back live on the radio at four o'clock today. Apologies for Annie inconvenience yesterday, but life happens, things happen from time to time that distract you, and that's why I was away yesterday, but I'm back today. Shall we look at the front pages of the UK dailies? Let's do it. The Guardian. Dismay as households face £2 billion council tax increase. Wow. We will talk briefly about that in a few moments. Council tax increase here in the UK. There is a photograph adorning the Guardian front page. It is of the royal couple, Camilla and Charles. He is seen waving, presumably to the assembled press corps, having left hospital, having had minor surgery on his prostate. There you are. He had an enlarged prostate, apparently. It's been dealt with now. number of papers have photographs of him, it must be said. The Metro, for example... Royals on road to recovery is the front page headline. And there is a photograph of him, his wife, old horseface, and their daughter-in-law, Kate or Catherine, who has also left hospital after having abdominal surgery. The Daily Telegraph, farmers lay siege to Paris with vow to cut off food is the headline. I will be talking about that in a moment and what might be going on there. Biden draws up plans for Iran revenge strikes is also on the front page of the Telegraph. It says that the White House is planning revenge strikes on Iranian militia. Right, okay. The Times dissidents in Britain warned of Iran threat. We'll have a look at that in a moment. Two dissidents in Britain warned of Iran threat. So Iranians living in the UK are being told that the state of Iran might be plotting assassinations and kidnaps of uh, dissidents in the UK. Amazing the timing of this, isn't it? Again, we'll talk about it in a few minutes' time. The Sun. Rashford's 12-hour tequila party before calling in sick is the front page of The Sun. It has a photograph of Manchester United striker Marcus Rashford who uh, has made the headlines for the wrong reasons in recent days. He was in Northern Ireland last week, in the middle of the week, not long before a, a, an FA Cup game, and uh, he was photographed and videoed in nightclubs. Shock horror. And then on Friday he called in sick to training, so he's been disciplined by the club. And the son thinks this is about the most important thing it could be talking about and writing about today. To make it even more ridiculous, on the front page, picture of Rashford, and then full story, pages 4, 5, 6 and 7. Mother of divine Jesus Christ. How could you need four pages to write a story about a footballer who got pissed up in a nightclub and then missed training? It's barely worth a paragraph, in the opinion of this journalist. The eye paper, Cameron to warn 
is that the UK facing biggest threat since the Cold War is the headline on the front page of the iPaper. Cameron will make his very first major speech since rejoining the government. And in the speech he will say that the world is now more dangerous than at any time since the Cold War. And he wants to push the UK to strengthen its defences against so-called hostile actors. This is bollocks, of course. And I will talk about it in a moment because his old bum chum, William Hague, former leader of the Conservative Party, he's written an opinion piece for The Times today where he's basically calling for the return of national service. Scumbags all. The Daily Express. New fast-track NHS test will save lives. That's the lead story. A new test which will save lives. I'm not going to get into it. The Daily Mail. Rishi goes to war over rail strikes. There are more rail strikes today. The Daily Mail is claiming that um, Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, is standing up to the unions. Sure he is. The Financial Times. Flutter lines up New York listing in fresh blow to London equity market. Now, Flutter is a company that um, owns Paddy Power, the bookmakers, as far as I understand. And it is floating on the New York Stock Exchange. It is about to do that to raise money. And the Financial Times is saying this is a blow to the FTSE because it's the latest big-name firm to opt for the New York stock market, to opt for Wall Street, basically, over uh, London. And this might be damaging for the stock market in the UK in the long term. Uh, The Daily Star... As a bizarre story on the front page, the spy who came in from the cold. It's about a beluga whale trained by the Kremlin to spy on Norway or to spy on, you know, submarines around Norway's coast. But the whale became friendly with Norwegian fishermen. It, um, you know, the beluga whale is is a social creature and the fishermen found a harness around it and a sign which read, Equipment, St. Petersburg. So they've deduced that the beluga whale, which has gone AWOL and has befriended these fishermen, was in fact spying for Russia. That is the front page of the Star, and that concludes the front pages of today's newspapers. Bizarre story adorning the Star. Let's go straight inside the Daily Mail. Elon Musk reveals first human has had a brain implant from Neuralink's new telepathy product. Jesus, yes, we've talked about this many times on the Richie Allen Show. So Musk tweeted last night that a patient has become the first human recipient of the microchip implanted into the brain. So they've done it. They've put a microchip on a person's brain. Musk said the person is doing really well. He said last night on Twitter that the company Neuralink had successfully performed a craniectomy to attach the device to the unnamed person. This happened on Sunday. He announced the product. It's called Telepathy. He says he hopes it will allow users with disabilities like Stephen Hawking to communicate faster than an auctioneer. Um, Hawking died of motor neuron disease, didn't he? Um, So Musk says this device will enable control of your phone or your computer and through them almost any device just by thinking. What could possibly go wrong? And as we've discussed many times on the other show, they sell these, what I think are abominable products. I mean, this is an abomination, right? But they sell them through 
Um, well, they tug at the heartstrings of people. This is how they sell them. They say, you know, we're going to help people who uh, suffered paralysis or who suffered some other brain injury. We're going to help them recover the use of their limbs or reach parts of their brains that were maybe shut down after they had a stroke or whatever. So this is how they sell it. But in reality, this is, well, it's transhumanism, isn't it? Is what it is. And it ultimately, it's like this Noah Harari uh, moron, this awful man who believes that humans are hackable. And ultimately, if you turn the brain into a terminal by connecting it to a microchip, you ultimately, in my opinion, you leave the brain wide open to be hacked and also to be programmed much, 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 much easier than it is to program the brain now. I mean, people are programmed morning, noon and night by sub subliminal messaging through TV, through magazines, through their phones increasingly, more and more so by their phones. But now it's become even easier to hack people, to program them and, of course, to change their behaviour through changing their thinking. It's horrifying, this. It really is to me. I'm not sensationalising it. I'm not trying to oversell this. It is absolutely horrendous. And, and for me, the, the, the thing, I suppose I shouldn't have found it so remarkable. I shouldn't have found it so, so curious because we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen queues outside of Apple's high street stores, queues for three, four days, you know, in advance of the release of a new phone. When Musk looked, sought, for, when he went looking for volunteers, I mean, they, they bombarded Musk's company. They bombarded the company. People did. They, in their hundreds of thousands, if not more, people said, yeah, put a microchip on my brain. Amazing. Musk says you'll be able to browse the internet in your mind and it'll allow for telepathy in the future. You'll be able to have conversations with people halfway around the world um, without using a smartphone, without using Zoom, without using Skype. You'll only have to think it. Jesus Christ. Let's leave that one there. This is a hugely important story and I will be talking about it on the Richie Allen radio show this afternoon, Tuesday. We are January 30th. We're nearly out of January. This is very important. French farmers lay siege to Paris with vow to cut off food. In the Telegraph, hundreds of tractors laid siege to Paris on Monday as farmers furious at French and European rules said they intended to, quote, starve Parisians. Long lines of tractors blocked motorways at eight entry points to the city as one militant union promised to take control of the world's biggest fresh food market. Blockading Paris will happen naturally. Parisians are going to be hungry. The goal is to starve Parisians. That is it, says Benoit Durand, a grain farmer. Benoit Durand, right? Mr Durand, like thousands of others, said he was struggling against low income, red tape and environmental policies that are pushing costs up. Emmanuel Macron, the French president, is under mounting pressure to reassert his authority, uh, is set to announce new measures for farmers as early as today. And that's according to uh, a statement from the Elysee Palace. So Macron is under pressure. The farmers are blockading Paris, threatening to starve Parisians. According to the Telegraph, these protests follow similar action in other European countries, including Germany, Poland and the Netherlands, ahead of European Parliament elections in June, in which the hard right uh, are making gains. 
The main farming unions do not back, strangling Paris's food supplies. But on Monday night last night, angry farmers refused to move, setting up barbecues on motorways, sleeping in trailers. And I did see this morning they've even managed to get portable toilets in there as well. The farmers are not going anywhere. So what's going on, dear listener? Well, France is the biggest agricultural producer in the European Union. Farmers there are saying and have been saying for a long time that they're not being paid enough and that their work is being hampered by excessive regulation on environmental protection, all of which is coming, of course, from Brussels. Okay, so there's also cheaper imports coming into the country. And uh, like the Telegraph says, these are concerns being shared by farmers around the EU, not just by uh, by French farmers. But the environmental stuff, and this is where it's all going. Again, something we discuss and have discussed many times on the Richie Allen radio show. EU subsidy rules, you see. They want farmers in France and farmers everywhere else to leave 4 to 5% of farmland fallow. Don't farm it. Rewild it. Okay? And French farmers, they're, they're also asking farmers to reduce their herd population. Reduce the size of your dairy herds. Reduce the size of your beef herds. Basically, you reduce the size of your business and do it in the name of climate change. But farmers are saying, hang on a second, on the one hand, you're telling us that because of war in Ukraine and because of conflicts maybe happening elsewhere in the world, it is more important than ever for us to have food security and to be self-sufficient. So you're telling us this on the one hand, say farmers, but on the other hand, you're telling us to farm less. And you're telling us that we must, you know, under penalty of massive fines, that we must um, reduce the size of our farms, leave a lot of land, basically, for rewilding, reduce the herds. That doesn't make any sense, according to French farmers. But maybe French farmers don't understand that Schwab and Billy Gates and Tony Blair and all those madmen, they want us to eat crickets and insects in the near future. And this is true, I'm not making any of this up. We discuss this time and time again on the Richie Allen Show. So the farmers of Europe are saying enough is enough. And I'll be talking about it on the Richie Allen Show later on today. The Times front page story was Iran dissidents in UK at risk of assassination and kidnap. And this is fear-mongering, of course, right? So basically, detectives from Scotland Yard um, have set up a new unit. It's called the Hostile State Threat Unit. Honestly, you couldn't make it up. And they've been going around the UK to Iranians who've been living in relative peace and harmony in their communities. And they've been scaring the bejesus out of them. They've been saying, oh, it's all kicking off in the Middle East now. And we have intelligence that your former government, you know, the regime in Tehran, man, we believe that they might use gangs in the UK to assassinate Iranian dissidents, to, to, to threaten your life, your business, and to maybe even kidnap you and try and get you back to Iran. That's what they're telling Iranians in the UK. I hope Iranians can smell that horseshit a mile away. But uh, maybe they won't. I don't know. So this is a drip, drip tactic by the media and by governments. Drip, 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 drip. They're ramping up the rhetoric around we're not safe, the world is not safe. It's at the most dangerous juncture. 
uh, since the Cold War. Hostile actors, dangerous countries around the world are plotting. And we have to be more resilient and we have to be more diligent and we have to be maybe thinking on a war footing and all of this old bollocks, right? I don't know if there will be a global conflict. I don't know if that is in the plan of those behind the agendas, 2030, the Great Reset. I don't know. It might be. Maybe it'll be proxy wars around the world, fought by drones. I don't know. But they're telling us, and they're dripping this stuff into the news feed day in, day out, that something is coming. Is something coming? Maybe it is. That's the Times. William Hague in the Times. Uh, yes, it's serious. Your country needs you, says William Hague. So Haig has written this uh, opinion piece for the Times, where he's warning about British complacency over defence, that we can't go on with only one in 300 adults possessing military skills. Got to do something about that. We've got to get a citizen army. And again, he goes on to warn about problems in the Red Sea and the terrible Iranians and Hamas and the autocratic regimes in Beijing and in Moscow. They represent a threat to us all. They're even using terms like enemy. I don't have any enemies in Russia or China or Iran. The people of these countries are not my enemy. My enemies are the puppets who, you know, um, go to work every day in Westminster. My enemies are the puppets who go to work every day in the Doyle in Dublin. They're my enemies. And, and they're not the architects of the agendas. They deliver the agendas. They're my enemies, not the people of Iran. Staggering this stuff. He goes on in his article, Haig. It really is staggering. I mean, it's bullshit. He goes on to talk about what they're doing in Sweden. He says national services firmly associated with the past, something that they did in the 40s and 50s. It was our dads and granddads. It isn't seen as compatible with our hyper-individualistic age rights, Hague. How dare we disturb the idea that everyone has a lot of rights without any responsibility to protect them. So you have a lot of rights, says Hague. You should have some responsibility to protect them. But again, the, the, the only danger to, to, to human rights the only tangible, touchable danger to human rights in recent years, again, have been the puppets who inhabit the halls of Westminster. Do I need to bring up the COVID scam? Uh, China didn't do that. Russia didn't do that to the people of the UK. Uh, they didn't do it to the people of Ireland. The governments of those countries did on the orders of third and fourth parties, people whose names most people don't know. So that's where the clear and present danger to human rights is coming from. It's not coming from dark actors acting overseas or operating overseas. So he goes on to say, does Haig, that um, what they're doing in Sweden and in Norway is maybe the way forward. Um, Sweden has just set an example. He says, reinstating civic duty for 18-year-olds, including training in emergency services or maintaining vital infrastructure as alternatives to the armed Forces And then Haig quotes the Swedish Prime Minister who says citizenship is not a travel document but it comes with obligations as well. Another little fucking tyrant. When you turn 18, whether you like it or not, you'll have to train in an emergency service. You know, you've got to be useful. You've got to come and be trained, give up a year of your life so that we'll be prepared for some future conflict and all of that. So that's Haig in The Times. Uh, the Guardian, uh, front page of The Guardian today, led with this. Households in England face above inflation £2 billion council tax raid. So that's basically what it says on the tin. Um, 
in a deal to address the worsening financial crisis hitting town halls across the UK, officials in Michael Gove's levelling up department have told local authority bosses they expect the maximum possible 4.99% increase to be applied to council tax from April. The increases are likely to add about £100 to a typical Band D council tax bill, adding to the financial pressure on families with inflation currently at 4%. Yes, and that's what it is all about. You will own nothing and you will be happy. They are breaking the backs of people uh, in this country and everywhere else financially with this manufactured financial crisis. And on top of the manufactured financial crisis, where you go to your supermarket and prices are increasing exponentially, showing no sign of slowing down, while of course your wages and your salaries remain stagnant, this is breaking you. They're now saying to local authorities, yeah, you can tax people now at above the rate of inflation, just to heap more financial misery on them. Do people see a pattern, I wonder? Can they see what's really going on here? That's the Guardian. Hey, listen, a number of pe- newspapers have run a story about Lawrence Fox um, today. So I'll just give it a brief mention. You might be interested in it. Lawrence Fox is an actor turned politician. I interviewed him um, just under a couple of years ago on the Richie Allen show. He was okay. He wasn't spectacular. He was all right. Um, He's been a bit unkind about the Richie Allen show since once or twice. That's fine. I don't mind that. Um, Has Fox. Um, It's because I'm very critical of political parties and grifters, you know. I, 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 I can't imagine that people like Fox don't know how foolish, how ridiculous and preposterous it is to think that you can form a political party in this country and that you can somehow, you know, have some impact on what's going on on these agendas that he's quite fond of talking about. Great resets and whatnot. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. Fox has lost the High Court libel case, which I find, I find it incredible, really. You might remember um, a couple of years ago, again, a couple of years ago, Somebody accused Fox of being a racist on social media, on Twitter. And in response, um, in a ham-fisted way of demonstrating how preposterous it is to call somebody racist, Fox came back with, well, you're a paedophile. And three people took Fox to the High Court, claiming that he had libeled them. Now, I no libel law inside out. I, for several radio stations over the years, I was the go-to man when it came to libel. I even do refresher courses on it pretty regularly. I know law, the law around libel inside out and top to bottom, right? It's my business to know it. Um, and uh, as I said, there were times when people would come to me with a programme that was about to be broadcast and ask me if I felt there was anything actionable in the broadcast. Was there anything we should be a bit nervous about? Now, Lawrence Fox did not libel the people he said were paedophiles on Twitter when they said he was racist. It was obvious to every man, woman and child what was going on. And, And I couldn't understand how any high court judge with a straight face could claim that the reputations of those who Fox said were paedophiles were in any way damaged by his tweets. 
that is preposterous and that really is fundamentally what libel is really all about. Could you demonstrate that your reputation was damaged? Could you demonstrate that in the minds of ordinary people you um, you, you were somehow um, tainted somehow by that? Reputational damage leading maybe to financial loss. And these people could not demonstrate, not in a million years, that they suffered in any way as a result of the tweets by Fox. So I was flabbergasted to learn that Fox lost the, the libel case. I couldn't believe it. But, but I suppose it's the times. These are the times we live in now. And it, what it's taught me is, is kind of to be afraid, be very afraid. Because I will say things on the Richie Allen show, you know, pretty certain that while they might be on the line, some of the things I might say, but pretty certain that they are not libelous. You know, because I could back my statement up with with evidence. Now you have to wonder, in light of what happened to Fox, you have to wonder if somebody was to take a libel case against me or anybody else in the independent media and were it to be a preposterous case, um, well, maybe it might not be preposterous when it gets to court, maybe a dodgy judge. I'm not saying the judge in the Fox uh, libel case is dodgy, but I'm not saying that. But I think that decision is completely without merit and inexplicable. They called Fox a racist. And to demonstrate how foolish it is to be throwing around terms like that, Fox said, well, you're a pedo. I can't believe he was found. They found in favour of the plaintiffs and found that they had been libelled. I just can't believe it. I'm still shocked this morning, to be honest with you. Anyway, I doubt I'll be getting into it on the Richie Allen radio show because I can't add to it. It's crazy. Inside the Telegraph, BBC staff told not to hire candidates who are dismissive of diversity. Don't be dismissive of diversity or you won't be hired. Uh, The Telegraph has seen a recruitment policy document saying applicants should be asked in every interview to explain what diversity and inclusion means to you. See, if I was going for a job at the BBC, which of course I wouldn't be, my interview wouldn't last very long because I have no patience for this bollocks. What does diversity and inclusion mean to you? Richie. It means fucking bollocks is what it means. It means nonsense. I'm only interested in the skills or the skill set of the people I work with. I couldn't give a fuck what they look like. Who would they go to bed with? Which God they pray to? And what their pronouns are? Couldn't give a shit, so I'd be out the door in a heartbeat. A recruitment policy document says people should be asked this question. What does diversity and inclusion mean to you? And if you are successful and you are hired, What opportunities do you see for you to promote, celebrate or encourage diversity and inclusion in your role? Listen, love, I'm going for the job of on-the-spot football reporter. Between three o'clock and five o'clock on a Saturday, once or twice an hour, you're going to throw to me and I'm going to tell you the latest score at Bristol Rover Stadium. Every, you're going to come to me. Well, it's 1-0, Jim. It's 1-0 here. It's a very good game. Uh, it's end-to-end football and um, expect more goals. That's what I'm going to be doing. What the fuck has diversity and inclusion got to do with that? And I'd be out the door. It's crazy, isn't it? What's going on? Managers are also directed not to offer jobs to candidates who show a lack of interest in learning more. <laughs> so if you give you the job, Richie, do you think you'd like to further your journey of learning about diversity and inclusion? No, not really, to be honest. No, I'm going to report live from football grounds around the country. And when I'm off, I'm going to get pissed right up. It's what I do. I'm a journalist. I'll be out the door. 
A Conservative Party MP has written in the Telegraph today saying Rishi Sunak's net zero targets are path to ruin. It's Craig McKinley, Tory MP. He says that Sunak is overseeing a shameful acceptance of decline in the name of the Green Agenda. The Green Agenda, the rush to net zero, is damaging British industries. Lots of industries. Oil and gas in Britain ruined. Uh, car building ruined. We're going to fuck up the whole country, says McKinley. Make people poor, all for the green agenda. Of course he's right. He talks about plans to introduce fines to gas boiler companies. Companies who sell gas boilers. They will be given sales targets to sell heat pumps. Right? Heat pumps don't work. They're terrible. You'll freeze in winter if you have a heat pump instead of a gas boiler. But Sunak wants to introduce fines to companies who don't hit sales targets for heat pumps. McKinley, the MP, is saying this is fucking crazy. It's mental, really. Hundreds of jobs are being lost right now, uh, week on week. He says the rush to net zero presents a severe threat to industry that has uh, industries long been the lifeblood of our economy. The shameful acceptance of decline from a Tory government would previously have been unsinkable. I wonder, does McKinley have any idea as to what is really going on? And that we are seeing coming to fruition a decades-old agenda, that this is the end game now. Does he know? Will he know about the Club of Rome? Will he know any of this stuff, you know? Do we continue down the path to ruin, asks McKinley in his article, or do we finally wake up and prioritise true British energy security? That's a good question, uh, McKinley. Okay, that's nearly it for the papers. This Tuesday, January 30th, I'm going to have a quick look at the BBC News website just to see is there anything. Well, they're leading this morning with news that power sharing has been restored in Stormont. Uh, For two years, there's been no devolved government in Northern Ireland. This is all because of Brexit, right? Um, But the DUP, the main unionist party in Northern Ireland, has just endorsed the deal to return to power sharing, and that's uh, getting a lot of coverage uh, this morning. Not much else, really, I can tell you. A woman severely injured in Sydney shark attack. That doesn't sound great, does it? Um, And that's it, really. That's it for the headlines and for the papers this morning, this Tuesday. It is lovely to be talking to you, so it is. Crack at dawn. The time is now 6.48. I don't know why I tell you that, because this is a podcast. But anyway, I'm going to go for a long run now. And then come back and prepare the Richie Allen Show for today, which will be live at 4 o'clock. Have a great Tuesday. Mind yourselves. Until later, it's bye from the BBG. Bye now. (laughs) 